Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Today, we're going to be reviewing the newly released 2021 State of the States report, an analysis of medical cannabis access in the United States. The report is compiled by Americans for Safe Access, the nation's largest cannabis patient organization. My guest is the executive, is the executive director of ASA, Debbie Churgai. Thank you so much, Debbie, for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Look, you know, before we talk about the work that ASA does, well, let's talk a little bit about its mission. Um, we we uh, let's 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 before we delve into the state report, let's talk about the mission of ASA. Sure, uh, Americans for Safe Access. We've been around since two thousand two, and our mission is to ensure safe and legal access to medical cannabis for therapeutic benefits and research. And what that really means is we are a patient advocacy nonprofit. So we focus on really seeing cannabis as medicine and making sure that patients are getting what they need within the medical cannabis programs throughout the country. And you kind of do a little bit of an evaluation of them on an annual basis to see where they stand? Yes, we um, we started doing this uh, annual evaluation about eight years ago because as you know, every single state medical cannabis program is very different in uh, almost every aspect in how how patients um, can even get into the program, if they have to have certain conditions, um, the types of medicines they're allowed to use, the purchase limits, uh, s- standardized testing, like everything in every state is so different. Um, and so while it looks like the country has so much access, we know that there are still so many pockets of um, in the country where patients are struggling to get access um, due to affordability issues or just problems within the program. Who's the who's the report really produced for? Is it produced for the consumer? Is it produced for the legislator? Who's it produced for? Legislators, legislators, and regulators, um, because within every single report card, we also have recommendations on how to improve the program. So not only are we analyzing the program on how it's providing for patients, but we're also providing recommendations to improve the program for patients. Um, and so after the, the report is completed, we send it to every single regulator in the country and legislator. Um, to help them know where the holes are in the program and how to make the improvements to help their programs. And you give them a grade based on a whole series of things, but how do you kind of come down to an overall grade? Yeah, it's really thorough. Uh, We have over 120 categories that we're grading every single state on. So this really does take months and months of research. Um, and the way we do it is we do have a grading matrix, and that grading matrix is available um, on our website where the report is also free to download. Um, and it talks about every single category that we graded in and how you can either get full points or partial points for each of those categories. Um, so it is a very thorough process. This year was a little different um, because we added two new categories and a penalty section. Every year, we also get feedback from patients um, about their needs within the state and what how they think the state's doing. And for the last two years, we heard that affordability and health and social equity were two major issues that we didn't really cover in the report card. 
So we added those two new categories this year, um, as well as a penalties category for things states are doing that actually harm patients. You know, well, give us an idea of what some of those categories are. Why don't you say a few of the categories that you grade them on? So, for instance, when it comes to health and social equity, we're talking about um, how many dispensaries are allowed in the state, where they are available in the state, um, employment requirements. For instance, some states will um, not allow you to either work or be employed or own um, a cannabis business if you have been arrested. Um, so, there's a lot of restrictions on who can own businesses and who can work in businesses. Um, when it comes to affordability, we're talking about uh, what's the cost for, you know, not just the medicine, but also for the medical cannabis recommendation that all patients have to get. And if they need to reapply every year or every three years, for instance, some states, it's $300 a year just to apply to be a medical cannabis patient. And that doesn't even count the cost of the doctor visit or the cost of the medicine. So, um, yeah. You know, I was just saying, you, you were talking about the social equity thing. I think we just got, a, just got a, uh, a report this morning that the New York State will soon announce plans to usher in the first outlets for retail sales of marijuana by the end of the year, giving applicants access to stockpiles of drugs by, that they're there. But they're going to literally require that one of the state's first licenses licenses will go to people who have, who have been themselves or have a family member who has been convicted of a marijuana-related offense. So New York is trying to flip the script. However, they say nothing about how they're going to help those people who have been convicted get access to funds to open their companies. Exactly. That's a great example of a small step that states are doing. And so far, states are doing small steps. But as we know, there's so much more they can do. And that's great about New York. I mean, at least they're trying. Other states aren't trying at all. Um, and I think it really is important to make sure that we're building this industry and those that have been negatively affected by the industry and the war on drugs um, should be allowed to be a part of this industry. You know, I mean, does does your this report take into? I, 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 it must be showing you some kind of disturbing trends right now. I, I think because it just seems like as a as an issue in the nation, number one, it's taken a back seat to so many other things, even though it should have taken a front seat. Looking at the Leafly's current report about the fact that over the course of the last, that was a twenty twenty one. I think it was twenty eight billion dollars in sales, eclipsing the. The the and that's just for the legal market. We're not talking about the the black and gray market. Um, and but if you, and there's some estimates that the legal market really only accounts for about a third of all the sales in the country to begin with. So we're talking about something a, a product that you know has as great a reach as alcohol, tobacco, um, a greater reach than even milk. I mean, milk only accounted for 18 billion dollars in sales in all the grocery stores across the country. So $28 billion was sold during COVID for cannabis. And I think the business also in 2021 created something like 143 plus thousand jobs. One of the fastest growing, not one of the, the fastest growing employment opportunity in America. Yet we see that. And then at the same time, you see states just dragging their feet on 
implementing legislation to make cannabis even more accessible. So what what is your what's the overall takeaway from that perspective in your report? Are things getting worse and do we need to do a lot more to help them get better? Yeah, it's really frustrating because in, it's been 25 years since the first medical cannabis law passed in the state of California. It's been 25 years. Um, and we still have a long way to go to make sure that everyone in the country has access. Yes, if you're rich, if you live near it, if you're lucky enough to live near a dispensary or live in a state where you're allowed medicine and have the condition that you're allowed to it, yes, congratulations, you're lucky. But there's millions of patients um, that still do not have access, and especially because it's not federally illegal, that causes a lot of issues. So I feel like we're slowly getting there, and there's especially been a lot of progress in the last five years. But I really do feel like we have a long way to go if we want equal access to everyone throughout the country. Well, you say there's been a lot of progress, but we've also seen some really some drastic. What was it? North was it South South Dakota? I think or passed, and now the governor and the the legislature is trying to undo the will of the people. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and also in Colorado, uh, Colorado had a really great program, and now they're trying to restrict some of the limits for patients in the program. It's they're it's crazy. So that's 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 also what I'm scared of. Like in the cannabis industry, I always say it feels like two step forwards, one step back, constantly. We're, we're never constantly making progress. We're always getting a little progress and then getting pushed back down. And then we have to fight even harder to get where we were. And then we get pushed back down. And and it's scary. So there really is no known when everything's going to, you know, when legalization is going to occur. People always ask me about that. And I have hope that it'll occur in the next few years. But looking at the history of cannabis in the United States, you know, we came really close to legalizing in the 1980s. And then Reagan came in and they started that um, Just Say No campaign, which is a, was a, unfortunately a great success. Um, and it really hurt the cannabis industry. So my fear is even though we are making progress, we do have to be aware that there are forces that can actually push us back down under and make it harder for us. And that's why advocacy is so important still. But I think some of this is uh, the biggest issue that we face is us, uh, the industry itself. We spent so much time in the last few years focusing so much on B2B and trying to see how quickly you can get rich than actually really looking at what the purpose of the beginning of legalization was all about to begin with. And that was to have, you know, efficacious or access to patients for efficacious medication. And um, now all of a sudden this has turned into, you know, just how fast can I make money rather than do I give a damn about what I'm actually even selling? And and we do more time, we spend more time trying to educate B2B than we do B2C, the consumer. That is so true. That is, I'm so glad you said that and recognize that. And I wish other people would recognize that as well, because we are, a patient advocacy group, patients are a priority. And so the patients are always on our mind. But unfortunately, in the industry, patients aren't on the industry minds as much as they should be. They I mean, really we, are focused on growth. Well, we, we take shots at the pharmaceutical industry saying that they should have drugs like, or we should have cannabis because cannabis is far better for you than the pharmaceutical industry. But then we don't even learn from the pharmaceutical industry and the fact that they don't put a drug on the marketplace until they advertise directly to talk to the consumer 
tell the consumer about their problem, and then say, oh, and by the way, we have something to help you. Go talk to your doctor. Then the consumer goes in and talks to the doctor, and the doctor says, I didn't hear about that. Let me find out about that. Then all of a sudden, the rep shows up at the doctor's office and says, oh, I'll help you make a little bit of money if you get this to the consumer. It's all consumer-based rather than just straight B2B. And this industry hasn't learned that yet. And I think that, that the harder and more and more we battle that and fight that, the harder it's going to be for us to accomplish what it is we really want. And that's legislative change and greater access. Yes, agree. It's, it's definitely, everyone looks at the cannabis industry as if it's this scary, evil industry in which we're trying to harm people when actually we're doing the opposite. We are trying to help people. This is a public health issue. We are, we're trying to give people a safer alternative to a lot of the harmful drugs that are out there. I know. I think one of the things in the report that I really, really like, I'm going to go we'll dig a little deeper into your report, is, uh, you know, that you have that stat page that, that covers like a lot of statistics of what's um, happened in the last couple of years. And uh, let me pull it up here real quick because I, I got, had it had it open earlier. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's that that page that you have that has all of the blocks of what's happened in the last couple of years. Let's read a couple of them. Like, you know, there's uh, over $500 million plus in federal dollars that was spent on federal uh, interference in medical cannabis states before uh, the Blumenthal Joyce CJS amendment. Um, I like this one here the, about the fact that you've got a recent poll that gave you information that 93% of the nation supports medical cannabis. Where did you get that number from? Yes. Um, I don't know. I'll have to see where our reference is from, but, um, but I have to say one thing about that number because I think a lot of people see that number and they wonder why we still have issues if 93% of the population support it. The truth is 93% of the population does support it. But when you ask someone, do you want a dispensary in your neighborhood? Do you want your child to use cannabis? Do you want to use it? Do you want your parents to use it? Then their their opinions change. You know, they want it for other people, but they don't want it in their own backyard and they don't want it for their family. But it still is well above 80, 82%, 83% for, for people who think it's okay, a good alternative. But I think that's part of the problem is our industry, again, we're not spending enough time educating the consumer. You know, just the fact that, you know, in the last 10 years, there's been zero deaths that can be attributed to cannabis itself. There has been one death that, you know, science tries to make a big deal out of. And it's like, you know, shut up. Um, You know, (laughs) it's uh, people that they they try to say, well, there was one case where a person seems to have consumed some cannabis that had some mold that exacerbated their (laughs) shit. Shut up. You know what? Really? Okay. Um, But that's still one death. And I mean, I, I love the numbers that you, you give out about the number of people who are, you know, consuming cannabis now or the registered kind of patients around the country. It, you know, it started off in the thousands back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and now it's up to 5 million people are registered cannabis patients in the country. 48 states, is it? Is it 47 states in the District of Columbia, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So we have two states that are holding out, Nebraska and Idaho, which have no form of medical cannabis. However, there are still, um, I think it's 11 states that have only CBD and low THC. And we don't really consider those full medical cannabis programs either. So if they don't allow THC, um, then 
you're really cutting off a lot of patients that actually need that. Yeah, well, if you're looking at only 11 states, it's 20 percent. Well, 80 percent of the country has access or, or 77 percent of the country has access. And, you know, another, uh, you know, 20 percent of 22, 23 percent of the country doesn't. We have hit that point, I think, where it seems to me like, you know, the pendulum is swung in the right direction and we should just go ahead and do something at the federal level to OK this. And especially when, you know, there's so much disruption and carrying across state lines and those kinds of things. Um, let's talk a little bit about which state scored the highest in your report and why. So, yeah, Maine scored the highest this year, which came a little bit as a surprise for us, but um, we kind of, you know, knew that um, it was probably going to be Maine. Illinois came in second. Um, and they, came in, they, they came in second as the states with, what, the, the most uh, efficacious kinds of programs? I, I, what, what does the score give you? So our report card is very thorough, and it's put into different sections. And so it really depends. Every, every report, every state has um, did okay in certain sections, but then bad in other sections. So, for instance, Maine, there's patient rights and civil protection section. Maine did excellent, got 90 out of 100. Access to medicine, they got 95 out of 100. Program functionality, they got 100 out of 100. But then they had just a few issues with uh, their health and social equity was 75 out of 100. Affordability was 60 out of 100. And then product, uh, consumer protection and product safety was 123 out of 200, because that's a really big category. So as you can see, they did great in program functionality. They did great with uh, patient rights and civil protections, which is amazing because a lot of states did not. And they did great with access to medicine. But where they're falling a little bit short is affordability, health and social equity, and a little bit with the consumer protection. Um, so every state um, does kind of fluctuate on where they're succeeding and where they're failing. And I think that's what's so important about this report. It doesn't just say your state's doing great or your state's doing okay, but it tells you where within the state that uh, these improvements need to be made. And uh, which state scored the lowest? Well, Nebraska and Idaho, <laughs> zero, right. because they don't have anything. So um, they both, they both tied for um, for the, the worst states, and they will continue to do that until they get a program. And how about if states that have a program but still did poorly? Who was, who uh, you know, number is, 47? Well, not surprisingly, but a lot of the southern states, Mississippi, Kansas, uh, North Carolina, Kentucky, South Carolina, um, Tennessee, um Georgia, Wisconsin, Indiana, Wyoming, those were all of our basically the top or the bottom um bottom ten states that all and received bottom mostly bottom mostly because of the way their process is administered or bottom mostly Mo because most of, what? of those are because they're CBD only states. So they only allow um CBD and low limits of THC. And so because they only allow those low, those low limits, there's so much more that other states are doing that those states are not doing in order to 
improve access for patients. Some of those states also don't have distribution systems, meaning it's legal, but you have to, but you can't buy it or um, in the state, but it's also illegal to buy it in another state. So there are just so many issues and problems with these state programs. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of the lower states are because of the CBD only limits. What kind of trends are you starting to see when it comes from in legislature? Are those some of those southern states starting to figure out, oh, we got this wrong, let's get it right, let's try to get it right? Are they trying to correct their ills or are they just saying we did, we gave you this, so shut up? They are continuing to make small improvements, and that's what we were very grateful to see. Unfortunately, most of the improvements that we have seen in the last two years are surrounded by the COVID um, temporary measures that states put in. Um, and we are advocating to make these measures permanent. And those are uh, because these are things, by the way, which were needed way before COVID. So we've been advocating for these delivery, telehealth. Um, multiple year registrations, so you don't have to register every year. Uh, curbside pickup was a really great one. Um, and um, these are, uh, those were the most of the little small improvements throughout the states, but those small improvements um, made big impacts in the minds of patients. Wow. And um, do, you, do you see that? Are there states now trying to, I mean, you know, one of the things that that came out of COVID is the fact that there was a study right came out a couple months ago talking about the fact that we are now seeing there's been a couple of studies that have validated that uh, the acid form of a couple of the cannabinoids, CBD, CBG, CBDA, CBGA, um, seem to have a, a profound impact on the spike protein in COVID viruses' ability to enter cells. So there could be something prophylactic about some of the, the the cannabinoids, and we are starting to get more research done. As a matter of fact, your report identifies it very clearly. There's been well over 35,000 peer-reviewed studies released in the last 10 years on cannabis in the last year alone. I think it has been somewhere around 3,500. So, um, you know, the, uh, with all these these people who say, well, if they had a little bit more research, that research has been done. There's more research been done right. on cannabis in the last 10, 15 years than it's been done on aspirin. Right. I think that surprises a lot of people. They don't realize that. Uh, people think that, you know, there hasn't been a lot of research, but there has. Not even just in our country, but internationally, there's been a ton of research surrounding cannabis. A lot of other countries, because it is it's federally illegal, actually, in 44 countries, the United States is not one of them. So we are falling behind. Um, but because it is federally illegal in other countries, they're allowed to do a lot more with research. But even so, United States, we've been able to do research as well. Um, and so, yeah, there is a lot of research out there and I think people just need to look at it and read it. And I do know there's a lot of potential for further research though, for sure. I think that the, did that, the DEA this year, a DEA opened up and, and is allowing for some research of cannabis that doesn't come from the University of Mississippi. It's a, you can actually yeah. test using cannabis from some of the dispensaries. So I think that's really a yes. very positive step. What else is happening on the federal level that you know of? Well, Besides taxes and bank, <laughs> because that's the big talk on federal right now. And I totally understand why. I mean, 
business should be allowed to use banks and um, they shouldn't be taxed um, so incredibly high. Um, those are the big issues because I think the industry is kind of, you know, fighting against, you know, not being treated like any other industry in this country. Um, what is missing, to be quite honest, from federal um, um, federal legalization is the talk about the need for patients, the rights, the human rights of all of us to be allowed to choose the medicine that we want to put in our body. It's absolutely crazy that we are not allowed in certain states or depending on your condition to utilize a medicine that could help us and heal us and even save, save lives. Um, and so I, I do wish that we would push for that more. We do at Americans for Safe Access um, have a draft legislation regarding a federal coordination of medical cannabis that we have been trying to find a sponsor for. Um, and it's basically a way to guarantee that all states have at least a base level of equality in what they provide for patients. And then states can do more, obviously, with what they provide. We're not, we don't want to change anything within states, but we want to make sure that no matter where you live in this country, that you should have the same access that someone else does in another state, you know, with another condition. We just want to make sure it's equal and the same throughout the country. And that should be a basic human right. And how can people get involved? And where would they go if they wanted to help you out and get get more information? Well, we uh, we would love the support. Um, the website is americansforsafeaccess.org. Um, and everything on our website is free because it is for patients and consumers and it's filled with educational materials. Cause like you said, we really need to educate consumer as well. Um, so we have lots of free reports. We have a patient's guide to CBD, a patient's guide to medical cannabis, where they can also read a COA, which is a certificate of analysis, um, and we can we teach them how to read a COA and what to look for to make sure their medicine is safe. Um, and yeah, we have a lot of information, including this report, also free to download on our website. Sure. So again, that's is it Americans for Safe Access spelled out or ASA spelled out or just AFA? No, it's well, you it's you can look up AmericansforSafeAccess.org or okay. SafeAccessNow.org. Both of those go to our website. Great. And I mean, I think, again, some of the numbers that you put out there, and I think people need to understand this, right? you know, since we've been so uh, bombarded with information about COVID and information now about the, the impending World War III, you know, we're not talking about a lot of other things, but there's some of the information that you get out in the report, the fact that, you know, 25% drop in opioid-related deaths in states where there is a medical cannabis law is something that we really need to think about, especially in the fact that, you know, though we've not talked about the opioid addiction crisis in America in a couple of years now, because we've been focused more on COVID and other things, the, the crisis has not abated. Right, exactly. We actually have a campaign. It's called End Pain, Not Lives. This little sign back there is actually from that campaign. And that campaign was started to educate people about how cannabis can be utilized instead of opioids or adjunct with um, opioids to lower the amount of opioids they need um, to help with pain treatment. 
definitely. So when the opioid epidemic really hit this country, a lot of states had these um, specific little um, working groups to talk about ways to help with the opioid epidemic. And, you know, the one thing that they never included, because we, we went to a lot of these meetings, the one thing that they never included on the agenda was cannabis as an option. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of people don't even know that there is research that's been done that's proven that cannabis can be an effective exit drug for those who are using opioids. Right. That is true. That is true. And I, I just want to scream it out as much as I can that there is a safer way. There is a safer way to feel pain free. And that's with cannabis. And because of the negative st stigma that still exists, a lot of times when I tell people that they're like, oh, no, I don't want to try cannabis. I don't want to get high. Um, and it's yeah, really that perfect. same person will go out and drink, drink five or six glasses. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. No, exactly. I don't want to have euphoria, but give me another beer. Go ahead. <laughs> exactly, though. I mean, it's it's really it's crazy that people think that liquor is safer for us than um, cannabis. And that is one of the reasons why we do have that chart in the report that has all those kind of cool little um, 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 st static stats or whatever, because a lot of people don't know those facts. Like when I tell people that no one has died from a cannabis overdose, people are blown away. And then I explain in the why. History, in the history of cannabis, 5,000 years worth of use, nobody has died from an overdose of cannabis. You can't. It's you can't. It is yeah, impossible. Yeah, you'll go to sleep and sleep for a little bit, but you're not going to die from it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that's that's one of those facts that we try to get out as much as possible because it, it's really very. A lot of people don't know that and don't understand it. So, well, anything else you want to share? I want to get. Uh, I don't want to miss out on anything. Anything else from the report you'd like to talk about? Um. Well. I do want to say two things. One, the report, a lot of people just tend to look at their own report card. They'll, you know, this is like a 150 or 160 page report. And a lot of times they'll just open it up, look at what their state got and go, oh, I got a B or oh, I got a C. Great. I really encourage people to not only just look at the report and, and see like where in the report card their states are failing or where they can make improvements, uh, but also to look at other states and see what they're doing. Um, to get ideas, but to also read the report. There's also in the intro and in the conclusion, um, we have a state, um, um, basically a state uh, legislative, legislative language that states can adopt that brings uh, greater access to patients. And um, so there's a lot of great information in this report besides just looking at your own state's report card. And we also have a, um, a section at the end, it's called the gold standard section, where we talk about in each of those categories I've mentioned, which state got the highest in each of those categories. Um, and then the last thing I just want to say is I just really want to encourage people to to help and support advocacy, because I do feel like a lot of people think that we've made it. We're here. Uh, there's not much for, left for advocates to do. but this report is a really great example of, you know, where, you know, showing how states failed, where they failed. Like the average grade that states got, by the way, was 44%. So there is a lot more work we need to do. And as an advocate, we really, really, really we do need support from the industry. 
Um, and so I, I really hope that people will continue to support advocacy so that we can finally get there. We can finally get to um, a full legalization for medical and consumers. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, people don't even understand that in the last couple of months, you know, the, the local municipalities have been trying to find ways to get around protection laws for cannabis. And they're, they're literally, you know, uh, money being robbed from legal cannabis organizations because they happen to be taking money to a bank or right. you know, being, being, you know, uh, confiscated. And this is really, this is really ridiculous, especially right now when we have so much proof of the value. And when every single state that had a medical cannabis program considered cannabis an essential service during right. COVID, it just it seems so stupid. And they, they are so quick to grab the tax money <laughs> Use it any way they want, but they're yeah. not to support the, the 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 foundations of the industry. So, Debbie, check out. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Um, love to have you back anytime that you have any information like this that you'd like to share with our listeners. I would love to have you on. Well, thank you, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Sure, for sure. And you know, you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montella, and like she said, you can go up on AmericasForSafeAccess.org, right, Debbie? Yep. And uh, see how maybe you can volunteer to help continue to move this initiative forward. And until you do that, and until the next time, join us on the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.